To your point real quick about content, I think a lot of people get stuck on, they're like, what, what will I create content about? I'm not an expert. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're exactly right. I, I can't remember who said this. I wish I could credit them, but you can approach content in like two different ways. One is as the generous expert. Mm-hmm. So you're, I'm, you know, I'm an expert and I'm just sharing this with you for free. And the other one is the, the curious beginner. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's very easy for anybody to start as the curious beginner and to say, hey, I'm going to try to get in shape. Come with me on my journey, you know. Yeah. And then at one point, if you do it long enough, you become the expert. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for optimizing not only your performance, but also your habits and routines as well. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? So today I have the pleasure of having on another fellow Brock, which is always you know a rare sighting, but I have on Brock McGough. He is an entrepreneur of many different blogs and businesses, including his prominent blog, The Modest Man, where he offers advice, guidance in regards to men's fashion style and so forth. Uh, his work has been featured in Esquire Men's Health and other publications. How are you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to another Brock. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, the few and far between or the uh, what's like the saying that the uh, the few the proud the marine, you know we'll, we'll like yeah. steal a little bit of that vibe. But uh, it's funny we actually got to know each other because uh, I believe you reached out to me back in 2020 when you were coincidentally moving to Richmond real briefly, which is where I'm from. And uh, you know it was nice to kind of connect and also see how much has have things have kind of changed and developed and grown in both of our lives since then. Of course, the pandemic was like a very you know strange time uh, where some things flourished and some things stalled. Um, but I appreciate, you know, connecting again with you. Cause like I said, things have changed and I really enjoyed our conversation and took a good bit from it as far as like the power of these passive income sources, the power of delegation and how you can kind of really build these stable, long-term, long-term sources of income. And, uh, I don't know, I, I took a lot of inspiration from it. So I, I appreciate you again, taking the time. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was kind of funny how I, I, I think I saw you on the 10,000, yeah. um, the, the athletic brand, uh, like their ambassador page, mm-hmm. which oddly enough, I was on there too, even though I'm very much not like really an athlete. Um, <laughs> yeah. and then I saw you were in Richmond and we connected. It's, it was an odd time cause it was just like, you know, mid pandemic. Um, I think my wife had just gotten pregnant and so we were really, you know, being safe. So, so we didn't get to hang out that much, but, uh, it was nice to connect. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to connect over a bagel and coffee, right? But I want to start yeah. off a little bit with your uh, origin story, hit you with an easy question, kind of what got you into blogging in the first place? Because um, I feel like, at least from the outside perspective, that's where everything kind of started from you and what, what blossomed into everything else that you've done. Yeah, I mean, I, I started, I got interested in content sites, affiliate marketing, I guess you can call it blogging, yeah. um, in like 2012 maybe, and that was before influencers were a thing that yeah. it wasn't even really a word so like social media obviously was around but it wasn't as popular youtube was around but also also not as big there was no tiktok so blogs were very much like a viable thing to start if you wanted to build an audience online so i was just working in a regular job um, out of college i didn't really know what i wanted to do and um i had read probably like so many people who are, who will listen to this uh four-hour work week by yes. tim ferris yes yeah and, and that kind of got me I was just fascinated by the idea of location-independent income and then separating your time from your money, so passive income. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of like learning about affiliate marketing, content sites, WordPress, SEO. Um, and at the, at the same time, I was sort of developing a little bit of an interest in menswear and mm-hmm. learning how to dress a little better because uh, I, I looked very young and I was working in sort of a corporate job and I just, mm-hmm. I started to understand that I think my clothes were probably not working for me. And so my interest in, in that and then my interest in uh, blogging kind of converged with The Modest Man. Yeah, I want to pick, there's a couple of things I want to pick out of that. But uh, one thing that I liked that you mentioned, I had a conversation with someone, uh, I think it was two days ago, was about, you know, a lot of times people don't know where to start with creating content. And a lot of times the best content you can create is through your passions. Like as simple as it is, mm-hmm. you don't have to be an expert in fashion. Like you didn't go to school for it, it sounds like. Um, you know, I, I didn't, you know, overly specialize in comedy. Mean, I went to school for exercise science and things like that. But a lot of things I do or talk about, I go to school for, I'm not an expert in, but it's through passion and, you know, sharing what you learn. So kind of like a lot of, you know, where you kind of started, it sounds like, was through as you're learning, sharing that with others. And over time, you obviously kind of develop more of an expertise and familiarity with the topic, but just allowing that passion to lead to creation, uh, I, f- I feel like is the best route to go. And like you mentioned, the four hour work week, I haven't read it, but I did listen to a lot of the vast majority of it on audiobook um, years ago. And it kind of hit me the same way, thinking about how time is so finite, right? Like if you want to make money, and your money is tied to your time, you're gonna be you know, pretty much limited, right? And you know, that was something that definitely helped me make the easier decision to quit personal training and go into more of the freelance work I was doing because obviously when you're an entrepreneur, you decide your rate so you can decide your hourly rate and that can definitely help because if you do have that finite of time, well, you can't always work more, but you can make more by you know, dictating your rate. Uh, but mm-hmm. I like to emphasize the power of passive income. Um, so you start the yeah, blog. Your, yeah, go ahead. No, jump in. To your point real quick about content, I think a lot of people get stuck on, they're like, what, what will I create content about? I'm not an expert. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're exactly right. I, I can't remember who said this. I wish I could credit them, but you can approach content in like two different ways. One is as the generous expert. Mm-hmm. So you're, I'm, you know, I'm an expert and I'm just sharing this with you for free. And the other one is the the curious beginner, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's very easy for anybody to start as the curious beginner and to say, hey, I'm gonna try to get in shape. Come with me on my journey, you yeah. know. And then at, at one point, if you do it long enough, you become the expert. Yeah. And so, I've kind of transitioned to that over time. Even though, uh, you know, if you just look at the, the the world of fashion, like I'm by no means a fashion expert. Yeah. But I know more than most guys, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think anybody can start. And um, just like you said, it's really more about what you're what you're interested in, not what you're necessarily an expert in. Yeah, it's funny. I actually I wrote this down a while ago because I want to write a uh, just, you know, I'm transitioning a little bit of a lot of my content to try and have, OK, the shorter form on Instagram, but also have like longer form written content. And uh, one thing I really want to write about is what I just coined as like the beginner's paradox. And it's basically what you talked about, where as a beginner, you feel like you're not allowed to talk about something because you don't know enough about it. But then the truth is you never feel like you know enough or you're not going to be able to become an expert unless you talk about it. Like by doing, by teaching others, by creating, that leads to expertise, right? So if you get right. stuck at that you know, point of, well, I'm a beginner, I can't talk about this, then you're, you're kind of just stuck at that point. And um, yeah, you just nailed it. You know, it's like I've been getting into more um, Western philosophy and reading that the past six, eight months. 
and I really want to take more of a turn of adding more of that into content I produce, more of the lessons I learn into applying philosophy into life. And a lot of times, you know, I kind of get stuck in my own headspace of, well, you know, I'm not an expert. People are going to think I'm like, you know, acting like I'm smarter or bigger than I am. But it's through forcing myself to, you know, teach others to put things into practice that's going to make me a more uh, vibrant, uh, you know, reader and, and, and more vibrant thinker, I think, overall. So I, I like that you, you also vibe with that same kind of concept and that almost uh, imposter syndrome in, in some context. Totally. So with uh, you start with The Modest Man, that, that becomes your first blog. I guess what was like the next big monumental steps that led to um, I know you have I don't want to butcher the name is it the slender wrist is that the other yeah the slender wrist. okay mm-hmm. so you have that you obviously branched off into um, the modest man YouTube as well um, and other blogs and you know other businesses I want to get into in a little bit but uh, I guess walk you through like the next kind of big steps that kind of walked you down the path yeah I think the next the next big step was starting the YouTube channel mm-hmm. and um, you know menswear YouTube men's fashion YouTube was becoming more popular. I mean, the, the subject matter is inherently visual, so it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense to be on a visual platform versus, you know, a blog can be very visual, but it's also really made for someone who wants to sit down and, and read, you know, a, mm-hmm. a long-form article. And so I I kind of met a couple of people who were video-first creators, and they were doing really well and decided to jump into YouTube. Huge learning curve um, and... Uh, sort of a more of a barrier to entry, uh, especially back then, you know, now you can, you can basically use your phone and, um, and make a pretty good video, especially if you're doing shorts. But, um, it it was tough for me to get in YouTube. I'm not like, I don't love being in front of the camera. I'm I'm more comfortable behind it, you know? Yeah. But that was kind of the next big thing. And, uh, it took a while, but did, did see some, some traction on YouTube, which was really rewarding and encouraging to keep going. Um, and over the next few years, my, you know, effort between the website and YouTube kind of waxed and waned. I think social media, including YouTube, is really addictive because there's these metrics on there that are sort of vanity metrics, like mm-hmm. how many followers you have. Yeah. And if you're really just focused on like business revenue, a lot of that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. But when a video does well or when you get a bunch of subscribers in a month, uh, it feels good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, so I, I really kind of went heavy on YouTube for a couple of years and then I, I took a step back and I said, you know, most of the revenue is still coming from the website. Yeah. So I really have to focus on that because that, that's the more important, um, you know, piece of property that I have in this business. And that's kind of what led me to eventually buy the slenderist.com to add a, another uh, piece to the portfolio. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned that the website is the biggest driver. How did you really gain an audience because obviously YouTube has kind of an algorithm that's set up in a way that, you know, things can go viral, get searched, things like that. And I guess Google has the same way with SEO, but I guess how did you approach SEO and, and gaining that kind of traction with the website? Yeah, I mean, it really is all SEO for the website and it still is to, to yeah. this day. And I've tried other things. Like I've, I've tried every social media platform and it's not that you can't get significant traffic from social media but I haven't been able to crack that code really. So for mm-hmm. me, it's, it's been really diving deep into search engine optimization. And, you know, it, 
I think a lot of people would hear that and think like, oh, that sounds terrible. It's so boring. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear, <laughs> I want to learn about yeah. that. But I, I was fascinated by yeah. it. I mean, I, I think the idea that you can start uh, a business with literally nothing, $10 to get a domain name and then learn about SEO for free on the internet and then start publishing content and getting traffic for free and then monetizing that. I mean, that's just something you couldn't do 20 years ago. Yeah. So I, I was really fascinated by that. And, um, and so for me, you know, learning about SEO, it was kind of fun and it's still kind of the, the bedrock of, of my business is producing content that gets organic traffic from Google. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask too, like, do you feel that blogs and, you know, or however you want to, I guess, term your website still has the same power and traction as it does today? Obviously yours does. But what I'm saying is like, if you were to start something from scratch, right, uh, would you go about it the same way today? Um, or would you try and leverage some of these other platforms uh, more? Because like, for example, like, what are your thoughts on, you know, pl uh, platforms like Substack and things like that? Because that seems to be almost a form of, you know, you can run it like a blog, but it's also still connected to where people can find you through that platform. Yeah, I don't think there's, I, I think they're all lucrative. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, th I think it's, no right it's or tempting. Wrong, right? And you hear this all the time, like oh, blogs are dead or, you know, yeah. people said newsletters and email was dead, you know, and now yeah. it's back. So, uh, you know, YouTube's not going anywhere, even though TikTok has a lot of market share now. So I, I think they're all lucrative. I, if I were deciding on what to do right now, if I was starting from scratch, I would think about my strengths and what I enjoyed doing versus what's the most lucrative platform. Mm. Like if you hate writing, you shouldn't start a blog, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you really hate being in front of the camera, you probably shouldn't start a TikTok. Um, so it kind of depends on what's, what you're gonna realistically do for a long time because no matter which platform you choose, it's not a get rich quick thing. Like it's gonna take a long time. You're gonna have to create hundreds or thousands of pieces of content mm -hmm. and kind of outlast the competition. That's like 90% of the battle. Yeah, so transitioning back to a little bit of, I guess some of your bread and butter with men's fashion, uh, you know, what I guess you, you touched on a little bit, but maybe you could expand more upon what inspired you and drew you into men's fashion. And I guess like what would excite you about it. And I wonder after doing it for, you know, about a decade at this point, does it still excite you the same way with creating different, you know, videos on the topics and, and, and the different trends that come through? I think w why I like men's fashion as a, as a niche is because for me, it's not really about like fashion like I, I don't I've never been to New York Fashion Week yeah. I don't go to runway shows I don't really follow designers um, to me like dressing well or, or I guess your appearance mm -hmm. which is like your clothes and your grooming and and your and your physique it's it's kind of like one branch on on the tree of you know self-improvement or personal yeah. development and, and I think it's kind of low-hanging fruit because it's a lot easier to change your outfit than to change your physique yeah. for example and and anybody can do it you know and it regard like we we maybe don't like it but the, the fact is people judge us first parents yeah immediately yeah especially strangers now once you get to know somebody maybe it doesn't matter what you wear but but ev i mean even the people you know your family and your spouse mm -hmm. and everybody is kind of looking at you and and they have that that first impression so i'm just kind of fascinated that like it's something that's within our control that can affect our self-image and how other people view us mm -hmm. so why not like leverage it it's not that hard to learn you know yeah yeah 100 percent. and I, I like that you touched on 
kind of the the purpose and and meaning behind it because like you said it is more of like a self-improvement thing and i think it's kind of silly you know i want to get your thoughts on how fashion and men's fashion specifically uh how it's either like perceived with masculinity or or your like thoughts on the matter just because i think a lot of times right fashion or, or or appearance even can get like pushed towards oh that's like more of a like a feminine interest or things like that um, and I, I think that's like quite ignorant and foolish because just as much as you know strength isn't mutually exclusive to men obviously there's like strong women and value in men uh, you know training in the gym and being strength there's also uh, tons of value for self-improvement and self just development um, coming from taking attention to your your hygiene how you present yourself uh, you know, that complete picture of, of being a man, I think, involves um, a sense of caring about your appearance. Yeah, I mean, m- men have always cared. I, everybody cares. You know, I, yeah. think, I think guys that say they don't care, you know, we're all sending a message. And if your message is I don't care, well, then that's the message you're sending, you know. But yeah. either way, and, and, I, and I think that's kind of a uh, not the best message because mm-hmm. when I see a guy in – you know, baggy cargo shorts and a graphic t-shirt and like totally funk, like utilitarian shoes and like no effort. Call them out. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's like, th- is that really the message you want to send to the world? Because well, it, you spent the same yeah. time getting dressed as I did today. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a lack of effort and almost in a sense, whether they perceive it as not as this or not, it's a, it's a lack of self-respect. It's the same way I perceive people that are, you know, disinterested completely in exercise or even like demonize it as like you know oh these are meatheads or or self-absorbed people but it's like there's nothing you know i think everyone should love themselves enough to care about their appearance to care about their health to to want to better themselves and like you said if it's something as simple as changing your outfit can improve your attitude toward yourself can improve people's perception of you i think claiming that oh i don't care what people think about you is just a uh, you know you're lying to yourself in an ignorant way to uh, approach it right i agree yeah and, and also i mean i understand that it can be uncomfortable especially depending yeah. on what community you're a part of it can be uncomfortable to you know put on a, a more fitted pair of jeans or, mm-hmm. or wear a nicer pair of shoes or get a haircut you know but I, in my experience, most of the people, like if your friends sort of, you know, give you a little flack for doing something like that, six months later, they're asking you for help buying yeah. their wedding suit. So, yeah. it, and it feels good the first time, like you, I remember the first time putting on a pair of jeans that like really fit and I was like, man, like I, I look good. Like it felt really good. So I think it's, um, if you can get through that discomfort, uh, it is pretty rewarding. Yeah. So like I mentioned, you had the the Modest Man uh, YouTube channel for a long time now. You've been producing content generally uh, for that for a while. I wonder, how do you approach making sure you're not just regurgitating the same tips or ideas? Because I think, okay, fashion does change over time. And, you know, I think about this a lot, even uh, from my perspective with fitness, that fitness changes a lot. But the more that the, uh, the Internet has been out here, all the information a lot of times is out there like certain ways you should maybe, uh, how you should approach jeans, right? How they should fit, um, different ways that you should style a suit. Some of these things are more, I feel like principles that are already presented that aren't going to change for the most part. Um, so how do you go about, I guess, constantly trying to reinvent content and keep things interesting, if that makes sense? I think there, there's just an endless well of content ideas. And, you know, one example, like in, in pretty much any any niche, there's the product review, you know, or the yeah. brand review. Now, yeah. there's always a new product or a brand to review. Um, when it comes to, like, more evergreen content, topics that have been covered a million times, 
I sort of look at something and and say, can I do that better or or differently than yeah. than everybody else has done it? Because uh, really, the fact of the matter is, like, if you have an audience, they're following you, you know. Yeah. So they they want to know what you think about this trend or what you think about wearing a blue suit not just what some what not what google says about it you know whatever's the top search result mm-hmm. so i think just because something's been done doesn't mean you shouldn't do it even if you've already covered something doesn't mean you shouldn't cover it again maybe your production has been better maybe your ideas about a topic has has changed so i'll i'll repeat stuff i'll i'll borrow from other channels um the list of I have a list of ideas on you know on my notes app and it's it's I'll never Endless. get through it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good problem to have. So mm-hmm. uh, pivoting a little bit, you in the past I, I believe you're never no longer involved from like our last conversation, but you can uh, tell me if I'm incorrect. But you founded uh, Peter Manning, right? Co-founder yeah, I was. I, I was a, a co-owner, co-owner uh, okay. and and worked there for about. Uh, a year and a half. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I guess in that brief time that you were with the company, um, what did you get out of being involved hands-on with a clothing company? Uh, and I guess like what setbacks or lessons did you take away from that experience? I mean, it was interesting, you know, after working on, I guess like the publisher side, like, like kind of the content side, which is when, when you're a, a content creator or, you know, call, call it an influencer yeah. or a blogger, um, you know, you're one marketing arm for brands, basically. Like, you you fall into their content marketing budget or influencer marketing budget. So I was, uh, I'm intimately familiar with, you know, working with brands in that way. I had never mm-hmm. worked inside an e-commerce company or, or an apparel company. So it was really interesting to, to be on the inside and kind of see um, what it's like to work with publishers and content creators as the brand. Yeah, uh, be on the that, other side. The, right, yeah, because you're looking at like budgets from from the other side of of the equation, and and everything like that, and and um, you're kind of looking at ROI from the other side of the equation. So that was really interesting. It was a lot of fun to kind of apply what I've learned about creating content to a brand. It's definitely rewarding to create content for to sell a product versus mm-hmm. just to get views and then monetize the views. Um, it's a much, it's almost like a more straightforward business because you're you're saying I'm going to create this video and we're trying to sell jeans with this video, you know, we're not just trying to get views and then make money off of ads. So mm-hmm. the whole thing was really fascinating. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would be interested in maybe working in e-commerce again. Um, I'm not sure about menswear. It's like, it's a really tough product because there's so many, uh, you know, a lot of returns, lots of skews between that's all the what, sizes that's and colors. That's what I remember you telling me was that the most difficult part was there's so many different skews as far as, yeah, sizing, colors, products, and it's just, you know, very difficult to kind of keep up with and keep inventory. Yeah, and, and men don't, like, men don't shop that much, you know? Like, it, it's a bit of a tough sell to, to get guys to buy clothes. Um, so if, if I was looking at it just purely from a business perspective, I'm not sure menswear would be my first choice for an e-commerce company. So uh, one really interesting aspect about you that uh, I, I remember you, you, I think you mentioned it to me when we when we talked about it and I was reviewing it um, couple days ago as preparing for this podcast was uh you post very openly about your uh, your income and detail it on your uh, full-time blog.com uh and go through that so what i guess inspired you to do so and how'd you get into doing that basically yeah i think the income report was a bit of a trend in like the 
I don't know, 2010 to like 2016 era, uh-huh. um, the kind of like transparency in blogging or online business. I remember the, there was a blog, well, there, there's still a, a website called Smart Passive Income mm-hmm. uh, with Pat Flynn, and he was kind of the first one doing these income reports. And it was fascinating because, first of all, you get to see how websites make money, yeah. but also it was like, I don't know, it was like someone pulling their pants down in public, you know, just yeah, like, wow, just, this guy's just yeah. sharing this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I thought it was, I don't know, I, I was just so intrigued by it for, for a lot of reasons. And I saw a food blog doing the same thing, and I thought it'd be kind of interesting to do that in like the fashion blogging world because no one's doing that and it's a very opaque industry mm-hmm. like most people when they go to a website they have no idea that the website's making money off a of it of, yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and so i started doing it i also had the idea that um one day you know i, I could sort of have a separate business in full-time blog helping other bloggers make money and I, there's mm-hmm. a million websites like that mm-hmm. a lot of them are very kind of scammy and that they're They've never actually done it. Built anything else, right? They've never done it. So they're like life coaches, right? That are like twenty years old, you know. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's (laughs) like, what do you know about life? Yeah, it's like selling selling shovels in a gold rush, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So, I, you know, for me, it's never been. I still think there's maybe something, maybe a course for like fashion influencers or something to start Mm -hmm. their blogs and to to build more passive income, learn SEO. I've never actually done that because I'm too busy running the actual. Mm-hmm. you know, the actual business. So I still think there's some potential there, but it's always been uh, sort of on the back burner. Yeah. I feel like it's tough. Cause you know, I'm sure you're the same way. Obviously it sounds like you just have so many different ideas and routes you could go with things, but sometimes you have your hands in too many pots that, you know, the, the, the main uh, sources that need attention get, uh, get ignored. Right. Or, or aren't, don't get the yeah. adequate attention. Uh, you know, since starting that though, and, and analyzing, uh, your income and those reports on a quarterly basis. What, I guess, takeaways have you learned about yourself from them? And I guess, like, have you made any specific changes or emphases or, yeah, emphasize certain aspects? For example, I know, like, affiliate marketing obviously is a big, um, you know, pull of income. Did you notice that early on and, and pivot more towards that? Or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, producing the income reports really forced me to like really do a deep dive into the books you know every month mm-hmm. and um you know i have a very clean profit and loss now and i, I really understand the numbers in a way that i didn't um when, when i was first getting started so i did uh, like intentionally make affiliate marketing a bigger piece of the pie mm-hmm. i noticed that ad revenue it was sort of taking over as as the sole revenue stream and um i wanted to diversify so probably maybe two years ago, I decided to publish more content that would help drive affiliate revenue and it worked. And now affiliate is actually has overtaken mm-hmm. display ad revenue. So now I have to sort of dial it back in the other direction. But, um, I think it's, I think it's a really good idea, no matter what kind of business you have to at least once a month, like do a really deep dive, like go into mm-hmm. all your bank statements and, and put together your own profit and loss. And, um, and for me, that's what the income reports did you know because it was i was sort of publicly accountable to put them together yeah <laughs> yeah when i feel like whenever yeah whenever you're putting something out there you want to make sure you're uh, on point know what you're doing know what you're talking about so with affiliate right. marketing and uh, advertising overall those are obviously big drivers uh how would you go about i guess let's say someone that doesn't have a blog or uh, i'm wondering how to, how to uh, ask about this how would you go about if you had to start from scratch 
starting up those kind of income sources because obviously you know I've had a like experience with this myself with uh, review content as you referenced with 10,000 where that's become a, a strong um, you know commission and affiliate based income source for me and I think review content specifically on YouTube has a big draw so I guess what are your what is your advice or thoughts on you know building up those as income sources uh, either either from scratch or how how can somebody start to leverage those if they aren't already I think affiliate is one of the best places to start if you don't have an audience yet and you don't have a ton of money. Yeah. Because you can join affiliate programs basically as a total beginner and you can almost anybody can create, you know, affiliate content like a product review because mm -hmm. we're all using products every day and we're all qualified to review the stuff that we use. Yeah. So um, affiliate's a really good place to start with ad revenue. I love, you know, display ads. P people kind of think display ads are, are dead because mm -hmm. anybody under 50 probably doesn't even see them anymore. You know, we're just kind of blind to them. But mm -hmm. display ads, banner ads on websites bring in a ton of money. And um, th the thing is with those, to really make m meaningful money from ads, you have to have like at least, say, 25,000 page views a month. Once you get over 100,000, you really have access to the premium ad networks that pay mm -hmm. a lot more so you basically need some traffic to make money off ads affiliate you don't you can start with zero traffic yeah so i would say though that from my experience um youtube is a little tougher with affiliate because to make money off of uh, affiliate marketing people usually need to click on your link yeah uh, sometimes some brands have like a unique discount code that they can use uh but on youtube no one clicks on links like no one goes in the description and clicks on links so uh, a website, in, in my opinion, is, is a much better platform for affiliate content. So how do you go about, because I, I noticed a big chunk of the affiliate was Amazon affiliation, right? How do you, is most of that from the website click, like link clicks or, or yeah, I mean, because it seems like most affiliates, like you said, are link based or they could be code based. So I guess, where do, where do you find the most success with that? Yeah, it's pretty much all websites. So if, if you okay. just look at all of the affiliate revenue, about 15% comes from YouTube. Okay. And that's the max. Like some months, yeah. it's way less. So pretty much the website. If, if you think about it, like basically how affiliate marketing works is mm -hmm. when you're going to buy something, say you're going to buy a new pair of headphones, you Google, Google it. best yep. headphones, you know? Yeah. And sure, Google's going to show you some ads, some shopping results, maybe a couple videos. For the most part, though, you're going to see a list of websites, mm -hmm. 15 best headphones, 2022, you know? Yeah. And yeah. you want to be that website that shows up. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you are and someone clicks on your link and buys something, you get a commission. Yeah. Yeah. Now that makes complete sense. And I do feel like, you know, my, my pitch always was, you know, of course, my whatever brand reviews are doing really well commission wise because who looks up review videos people that are trying to get convinced to make the purchase pretty much you know or, or they're right. in the process of just you know deciding what to purchase um so you're already in like a good position a favorable position to make a sale um rather than trying to do like a cold sale in a sense uh but right. but it makes sense how a website would would a pop up kind of faster than a video and b uh, a lot of times i'm sure you're this way as a consumer as well Sometimes you don't want to watch a video, you know, you kind of just want to get straight to the point. And if you're just looking for the top uh, running shoe for a marathon or top, you know, like you mentioned, headphones or something like that, um, you're just going to click the link, go to the first, you know, oh, what's number one, scroll down there, click the link yeah. And, and yeah, make that purchase. So that makes complete sense.
So another big change since, uh, you know, we last spoke was uh, you becoming a father. Um, so I wanted mm -hmm. to dig into that a little bit and see, you know, how is your intentions, your behaviors, and like your purpose in life, I guess, change and perspective on things change since uh, the birth of your daughter? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge change. You know, I can't really overstate how big of a change it is. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's like, it's hard to explain. I, I, I would say after after having a, a daughter, she's 13 months now, mm -hmm. it's not something I would like, like if someone's on the fence, like I would say like, you definitely have to do it, you know, because it's such a big change that I, I wouldn't blame anybody for, for not wanting to do it. Um, I'm, I'm really happy. You know, I, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like you experience these, these highs that you, uh, that you just can't experience, you know, yeah. if, if you don't have a kid it's also some of the lowest lows and they can happen in the same day. So it's yeah. like, it's wild. Um, I'd say like from, from kind of like a, I don't know, like a personal development or like productivity perspective, like you just have way less time and you sleep less. And so a lot of the stuff that's like non-essential kind of just falls off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for me, it's been, um, I really, I focus when I, when I have work time, I'm doing the stuff that has to get done. Mm -hmm. And I, I've gotten a little better at, um, delegating and like letting things go that I, I don't really have to pay attention to or work on maybe letting some content, um, you know, get published that I'm not 100% happy with, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. a B plus and that that's good enough. Um, and then I, I would say that applies to everything. Like even with like fitness and stuff, like you just don't have as much time. So, mm -hmm. um, you have to make it count, you know, when you yeah. do get to the gym, um, so yeah, it kind of, it's, it definitely has like a focusing, um, I guess, effect on your life. Uh, and then at the same time, there's a lot of, 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 you know, moments in the day where you just can't optimize because mm -hmm. you, you have like a baby, you know, and they're, so you just have to sit and watch them or like you, and, and as, as someone who's kind of been into like personal development and entrepreneurship and stuff like, yeah, it, it goes against does you it know, almost force you to be more present and less uh, multitasky? And is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You have well, you can fight it. You know, yeah. you can fight it and and not <laughs> yeah. be present and be on your phone or be. But but yeah, it is kind of fun just to like, I don't know, s sit on the ground and like see the world through through a baby's eyes for a little while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I I think that's the you know you don't sound like this parent, so I don't I don't feel bad saying this is that you hate to see the parent at the park that uh, doesn't pay attention to their kid at all that's just on their phone the entire time, right? Or, you know, I I'm sure your parents were like this. Like, Miley, if you go to a restaurant, you know, they, they gave you the little crayons and you're, you're coloring your, your, your either brother or sibling or your parent is coloring with you and they're talking, engaging with you. And nowadays, a lot of times, uh, kids are just given tablets, right, at dinner just to distract them, you know, yeah. and such. And there's just not that level of interaction. I think it goes both ways. It obviously benefits the child, but I think it also benefits you as well as just being present, like you mentioned, seeing the uh, the world through the lens of a child. Uh, and you know, and, and it's beautiful how it connects, honestly, to what you do. Because one emphasis that I've spoken a lot about to uh, you know to my wife when we talk about having kids in the future is I'm like busting my balls now to try and have enough financial stability and job stability to where I can be present and be with my kid as much as possible. Like, I don't want to miss moments. I want to be there as much as possible. I don't want to be stuck at work all the time. I want to have the flexibility that entrepreneurship gives you, the flexibility that you mentioned that that, like, quote, unquote, four-hour work week gives you. Um, understand and, and, and 
make the effort to delegate things that I can delegate so that I can be as involved, as present as I can um, with my kid. And I think that's what the power of not just entrepreneurship, but passive income kind of gives you. So I, I guess how, how much have you like appreciated having that ability because of the way you've set up your life? And, uh, you know, you can kind of compare that to, I'm sure, uh, either siblings or, or other people, you know, that, you know, don't have that uh, opportunity. Yeah, I honestly, I can't imagine doing this with with a different with like a more traditional work life. Yeah, it's because that was kind of my thesis too. like, you know, in, in my maybe early 30s, I was like, you know, I just want to work really hard now and be have a lot of time freedom mm-hmm. and enough money that, uh, you know, it's going to be a little easier to be a parent and it's not going to be as it's going to be stressful no matter no what. Matter but, what yeah. yeah, but it's it's been true, man, like I it's, it's been great. Like I'm, I'm with her every morning. I pick her up every day, um, from daycare at mm-hmm. like two or three. So like, I'm not, you don't have to wait till five or six. Um, I go to the gym during the day, you know, like during mm-hmm. the work day. So I, yeah, I, I love, uh, I, I love this lifestyle, you know, of like of having a business that's relatively passive. There's no such thing as like, well, Completely. true passive income yeah. is, I don't know, stocks, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's it's been incredible and and yeah I really I have to remember that sometimes because I think it's like it's tempting just to kind of like try to ladder up all the time and like mm-hmm. that usually means more money but um, this is already like priceless like I wouldn't yeah. trade this like this kind of version of, of work life uh, for anything yeah well I love the perspective and I've heard it described in a million different ways but like the idea of like Okay, like what, it, what at the end of the day, at bottom, like what is what is this money supposed to give you, right? And it's supposed to give you not just, you know, these material things, but to give you time, to give you more flexibility, mm-hmm. to give you more freedom. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, $60,000 a year, whether it's a million dollars a year, whatever can give you um, that flexibility depending on, you know, your, your comforts or standards of living um, and your budget, uh, you know, the more you can have that present time to do the things you want to do with the people you love to have those kind of freedoms. Um, you know, that's kind of what it's all about. It's not always about, like you said, uh, you know, moving up the ladder, you know, you can still pursue that, but also have the other perception to understand, uh, you know, what you've afforded yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause you, you can be an entrepreneur and, and, you know, have all the, have access to all the freedom, but yeah. still be kind of addicted to the hustle and, and yeah. not pay attention to your kids. You know what I mean? So and that, that, that's one thing I'm kind of thinking a lot about these days is like how much is enough mm-hmm. and like when is it time to, you know, turn the page or do something else or take some chips off the table? Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, I don't I don't need I don't need like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I don't need yeah. ten, tens of millions. Like I just I just want enough to kind of um, take the pressure off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you walked right into my, my like final question was, uh, you know, w- what are those like next steps that, that you're thinking about right now? I guess what's upcoming um, and what are, what are kind of like your future, I guess, goals that you have set up for your businesses or just, you know, life in general, as you mentioned, now raising a daughter? Yeah. One, one thing I'm thinking about a lot lately is um, a potential exit from, from at least parts of my business. So, you know, you can think about it as like digital real estate. Like I have these two websites, the YouTube mm-hmm. channels some social media. And some of those assets are sellable and websites in particular are an increasingly popular like asset class. And even people who aren't really into like online marketing or content are getting involved in the purchasing of websites mm-hmm. as a, as a business or as an income stream. So 
I've heard from many potential buyers over the last couple of years. And um, it's something I'm thinking about. You know, I didn't start The Modest Man with the intention to sell it. I'm mm-hmm. still passionate about it and, and the subject matter. I have a good team. But, you know, for the right buyer and the right price, I, I would definitely be interested in an exit. And, and I think that would, I think it'd be helpful because it, A, take chips off the table, you know, sort of build up the nest egg a little bit. And then also just free up some some brain space to maybe yes. do something else, you know, because I've been yeah. doing it for a long time and I don't want to do it forever. So, yeah, well, very different uh, aspect, smaller scale, shorter term thing. But that's how I was with the gym. It's funny. I started the gym basically like a few months after we spoke and then um, only like six months ago, I actually like sold it. And uh, a lot of selling it was, uh, you know, I, I, I would still be happy doing it. Uh, it was still something I enjoyed, still a passion I had. But like you mentioned, I just needed I needed to switch things up. I needed a, a, a break and more freedom to explore other passions I had, um, whether it be this podcast, whether it be more uh, content creation overall. I just didn't have the time for that. I was doing you know my freelance work during the day and then in between the day as well and before and after I was managing the gym and it was just soaking up all my time and although I enjoyed it, um, I, I just was like, you know, where's this going? You know, like where, where eventually am I going? Um, so I definitely uh, can, can resonate with uh, where you're coming from a bit. Yeah, I think it's tough to know when to transition sometimes, mm-hmm. but I don't know, looking back, I've, if I think about times when I've left a job or, or a relationship or whatever, like yeah. I've never really, never really looked back and think, oh, I left too soon, or I transitioned too soon. It's usually like, ah, I stayed a little bit too long, you know? So um, I think I'm like, I'm kind of ready, but I want to do it the right way, you know, and and kind of optimize it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I appreciate you again coming on, and uh, I guess you have have a bunch of different ways people could find you, but which ones do you want to push the most of where people can find you? Yeah, if you go, I kind of keep a list of of what I'm up to just at brockmcgoff.com, so you can just go there and and find find my stuff makes it easy also you know it's like the past few people that i've had on and you know a podcast i was on a few days ago asked me the same thing uh it's easy when uh, you have a name you can just google and everything comes up you know yeah i feel like you've got that i got that so maybe it's a uh, yeah. the virtue of being named brock so maybe that's, that's it. right yeah <laughs> name your kids brock <laughs> yeah there you go well i appreciate it again and if you guys uh you know found this interesting definitely give brock a follow follow his content things like that share the podcast and i uh, will catch you guys in the next one